0: We turn in God's Word this morning to the Gospel according to Mark, the 11th chapter. Mark chapter 11. Continuing on from where we were last Lord's Day morning, after the triumphal entry, we pick it up then at verse 12 of Mark chapter 11, and we'll be reading through verse 12. 26, it's 25 in your scriptures, but I'll make note of the twenty-sixth verse that is included in uh, many of the manuscripts. So we begin Mark 11, verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. And as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away from its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And then, as I mentioned, the manuscripts add the 26th verse, which is, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, who is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Let's again bow in prayer as we consider God's word. Dear Lord we ask that you will be with pastor Bob this day that you will guide him direct him give him the words that we need to hear and the message that we need to receive we ask this in Jesus name Amen Amen so our focus this morning is upon this cursed tree first of all I want you to note that it was the fig tree we'll speak a little bit about that this particular tree secondly Our second major point will be the symbolism of this tree. This is not just a tree there along the roadside. It is symbolic of something else. Thirdly, there are the lessons from the fig tree that we hear from Jesus' own mouth. We don't have to sort of try to figure out what does this all about and what is the symbolism of all of this. Jesus himself gives us two lessons from that fig tree. Well, first of all, it is a fig tree. A fig tree uh, that we're speaking of here, they grew about 20 feet high, large leaves. One of the things and one of the purposes that oftentimes they were used for because of those large leaves was shade. So it was advantageous to, to have a fig tree to Uh, give you some relief from the hot Middle Eastern sun. The fruit of the tree is called the fig. The unusual thing about the fig tree is that the figs actually start growing before the leaves emerge. That's pretty significant considering what happens in our passage so it's not leaves and then fruit it is fruit and then leaves that's the way it works and apparently there are actually two seasons for figs Uh, the first season when they first come that that first one is one that you would pick and eat Uh, you would eat them fresh the second season and I'm not sure if it's because of the type of fruit or what exactly there was about it I couldn't find that explanation. But the second time they emerge, they picked and dried them uh, to be used during the winter so that they could have some sort of fruit during that period of time. So that's the type of tree. What's interesting is how often in Scripture a fig tree emerges. Go back with me to the book of Genesis. Perhaps you were already thinking this. If not, this comes as a good reminder. And I think it's part of what we need to look at as far as the symbolism that we'll arrive at a little bit later. In Genesis chapter 3, after man falls into sin, look at verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, what is it that I've told you so far this morning that leads you to go back? Oh, that's why they sewed fig leaves. They're large. They're large leaves. It's not like sewing a bunch of oak leaves together. Their large leaves, so the work was less. And this was Adam and Eve's attempt to cover up their nakedness. A theme that we're going to find in this evening's message as well. Turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 23. Numbers 13, verse 23. The spies are going out throughout Canaan. Israel is about ready to enter the land. The spies go out. Verse 23. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. They carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. So, when the spies are, are going to bring back to the people of Israel a sign of the blessings or the prosperity, or that Canaan is indeed uh, the land that flows with milk and honey, there is great abundance, they take this huge cluster of grapes, but they also bring pomegranates and they also bring figs. So it becomes then a sign of, of good things, which is reiterated for us if you go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8, we'll go to verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of good, brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills. Now imagine what that sounds like to a bunch of people who have been wandering for 40 years in the desert, right? Where is he bringing you? A land where the water flows. What have they been eating for 40 years? Manna. And periods of time, quail. Listen to the next verse. A land of wheat and barley of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. That's the picture that the fig tree is, a picture of prosperity, which is reiterated for us. We'll go to one more passage, Jeremiah chapter 5, Jeremiah, chapter 5. Go to verse 17. God is speaking. Of the judgment coming upon Israel because of their lack of repentance God sent prophet and prophet and prophet the people have paid no attention they have not repented verse 17 the nation that's coming against you verse 17 they shall eat up your harvest and your food they shall eat up your sons and your daughters They shall eat up your flocks and your herds. They shall eat up your vines and your fig trees. A sign of judgment is the fact that these blessings that God gave them in coming into this nation are going to be taken from them. When God spoke of the reign of King Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 4, the sign of the fact that things were going to go well was that every man would be able to sit under his own fig tree. That, that shade, that protection, that blessing, that abundance would be given to every individual. That blessing now, Jeremiah is saying, is being taken away because of judgment. Now, notice how this is working. This passage, these passages, speak to us of blessing, but they also speak to us of judgment and of cursing. That's what the fig tree emerges as. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 is going to use the fig tree as a sign and as a symbol and as a reminder of his coming. That when you see the fig tree, Giving forth its leaves in season, you will know that the time of my coming is soon. And notice how that then fits within this account of what is taking place in Mark chapter 11. Jesus is coming, and what do we encounter? But a fig tree in leaf. But that's what brings us to this particular tree. Let's go back to Mark chapter 11. What do we learn about this particular tree from the account that we've read this morning? We learn, one, that it's in leaf. It is in leaf. Based upon what I've told you, what does that mean? It means there should be figs, because the figs come before the leaves. But this one, even though it has leaves, has no figs. Jesus then curses it. And I couldn't help but but be reminded of the fact as we we read these opening verses of that which we confessed. We confessed earlier out of the Nicene Creed that he became man. Notice what we learn here. He came from Bethany. He was hungry. And we'd stop to say, how could the Son of God, how could Christ be hungry? Because of that which we confessed. He was man isn't it interesting as well that Jesus, the divine Son of God, goes to the fig tree. He knows there are no figs there. Does he not? And yet he goes to the tree anyway. Because there is a lesson to be taught from this tree that bears and has its leaves, but has no fruit this particular tree we learn then after jesus curses it mark follows it up okay verse 20 that when they come back the next day the disciples take note of this tree not of all fig trees but this fig tree this one with leaves but no fruit and mark notes that it is withered from the roots Probably a number of you, over the course of the summer, have uh, done some spraying of weeds. You've had weeds grow up in places you didn't want them, cracks of cement in your driveway, and you spray them. What happens? It's those leaves that begin to wilt and die. And you can see it start from the outside down to the root. Notice what Mark tells us about this cursing. This is anything but natural. The tree the next day has already withered. Where? From the roots. Matthew, in his account, tells us that it was immediately. In other words, as soon as Jesus pronounced the curse, the withering began. And by the time the next day comes around, the disciples are taking note that this tree is dead. Now, what is the symbolism of all of this? Well, note how Mark has arranged this. Now, it's not just Mark the person. I trust you have heard me enough. You understand that, right? It's the Holy Spirit who's arranging this. And notice the bracket. On the one side, we have Jesus coming to the tree, cursing it. On the other side, we have the lesson from the fig tree. What's in the middle? The cleansing of the temple. What then do you think is the symbolism of this tree? It's symbolic of Israel at the time that Jesus is there. This is symbolic of the nation of Israel. This is who they are. Jesus taught a parable in Luke chapter 13, 6 through 9. That that is so pointed. We we need to go to that. Okay, so find Luke 13. Verse 6. Now notice the last verse, verse 5. He's talking about the need for people to repent. Verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told them this parable. Why did he tell them this parable? To reiterate verse 5, that you need to repent or you perish. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. and He came seeking fruit on it and found none. Hmm. Interesting, seems to be the same situation that Jesus is encountering with his fig tree. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And I find none, cut it down, why should should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, leave it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. What's the three years all about? The ministry of Jesus. What's the next year about? It's about Pentecost. It's basically Jesus saying, look, if Israel does not repent, once Pentecost occurs, we move on. We are done with it. Interesting how that plays out then in Scripture, isn't it? It's a parable of his own ministry. Now he comes to this tree, Mark chapter 11, that has all these leaves but no fruit. He walks into the temple. It is filled with potential. It is filled with beauty. It has everything that is needed. But it has become empty. It is an empty worthless religion because their trust and faith is in that which they are doing not in the Lord it's in their rituals it's in their practices that what is what has captivated and they think their salvation is in the temple They think their salvation is in the ritual. Not in that which it points to, which is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here are these religious leaders... How do they respond to Jesus teaching them the word of God? My house is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. So here they are. They've got their fine clothes on. They've got their robes. They've got their little tassels. They've got their boxes with scripture on them. They're all decked out. They've got everything they need to. The finest of finery. And what do they do? They have a heart that is bent on evil. They're looking for ways to destroy Christ. What are they like? They are like a fig tree in leaf, but they're bearing no fruit. There is nothing there to match that which should accompany their positions, that which should accompany this beautiful temple, that which should accompany this Passover, because remember, that's what we're about this week, the Passover. All it is is leaves. No fruit. It's a picture of Israel. But too often, it's not only a picture of Israel, is it? It can often be a picture of us, it can be a picture of the church today, it can be a picture of our own lives. We can have all the finery. We can have all the the outside things. We're doing all the outside things correctly. We're showing up to church twice on a Lord's Day. We're tithing. We're giving gifts to building funds. We're giving gifts to missions. We're, We're doing everything we can on the outside. It all looks good. The problem is there is no real fruit. It's all a show. It's all a display. Inwardly, there is something wrong. Inwardly, there is something missing. There is no fig. There is no fruit. Church can have its big buildings. The church can have its big programs. The church can have its wow and pizzazz in terms of worship. But so often, it can be empty. We can sing our great hymns of amazing grace with peace like a river. Great is thy faithfulness. But so often they're, they're only an outward sign and there's no inward fruit. But when you look under the leaves, that when you peel away all the exteriors, when you peel away all of the finery. There's nothing there. There are no figs. I recall a number of years ago, my dad telling the story of one day, the the minister they had serving, made mention in his sermon of the prosperity of, of the congregation. And he said, just look at our automobiles out there in the parking lot. Beautiful automobiles. My dad went to him afterwards and he said, I don't mean to disagree with you, but how many of those automobiles do you think are paid for? They're not a sign of prosperity. They're a sign of debt for most people. Debt that has them over their eyeballs. See, sometimes that which appears on the surface, that which appears on the outside, is not that which is true of the heart. That's what this is a symbol of. It's a symbol of Israel in their day. It's a symbol of the church. It's a symbol of our own lives today. But even more than that, it is a symbol of humanity. What was Adam doing with that fig leaf? Back there in Genesis 3, 7. He is seeking to cover his sin. With what? Exteriors. Adam's problem was not that he was naked. Adam's problem was that he was a sinner. And the fig leaf was a means of masking, of covering over what he thought was the problem. But his problem wasn't nakedness. His problem was sin ear. It's hard. There's so many interesting parallels here, right? When when Jesus, what, what happens with Adam's sin? He comes under the curse. When he comes under the curse, what happens? Immediately death took over. Did it take over from the outside in? No, it took over from the inside out. Everything that's happening here in Mark chapter 11. Jesus is not only making a comment here. He's not only doing this to show Israel for what it was, to show us for what we are, but to show all of mankind for what it is. It cannot save itself. All it can produce are fig leaves, but no fruit. Thy works not mine, O Christ. Thy cross, not mine, O Christ. That is what we need to be looking for. Is Israel looking for that? No. Is humanity looking for that? No. Far too often, we don't look for it either. We want to cover ourselves with fig leaves. But God has his own covering in store. Let's move on to verses 20 through 26, the lessons from the fig tree. Peter, seeing that fig tree the next day, verse 21, seems surprised. Rabbi, look! I don't know what he expected would happen to a fig tree that Jesus cursed. But he seems to be surprised. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. Now notice what Jesus talks about. Notice what he directs his disciples and you and I to. He directs us to faith. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Have faith in God. There's our first lesson from the fig tree. What are we supposed to take away from this? Have faith in God. But then we have to ask, what is faith? What what does that, when Jesus says, have faith in God, what's he saying to those disciples? He's saying that which we believe, that which God's word tells us, that which we confess. That to have faith means not only to believe something, Because he goes on to talk about, when you pray, believe it. James echoes this when he tells us, if you're going to pray, you better believe what you're praying and not doubt. You can't be going back and forth. If you doubt that what you're praying for, you do not have faith. If you're praying for something you don't think God's going to do, then don't pray for it. Because it's not going to happen anyway. So Jesus continues to, to tell these disciples, you can say to a mountain be moved. Faith is to believe the certainty of that which God can do. Not that which I can do. Not that which I'm capable of. But to believe that which God can do. We so often want to do it ourselves. We so often want to be sowing fig leaves together. Rather than running and fleeing to God and saying, God, I've sinned. We want fig leaves to try to cover it. Jesus says to have faith. You have to come to God. You have to come believing. But faith is not only a belief, faith is an act. Hebrews chapter 11, you go down through that heroes of faith. It is about those who took action. By faith, Noah what? Built an ark. He did something. He lived according to that which he believed. See, that's the problem with the fig tree. It has the external, but there is no fruit, there are no corresponding actions we got the best of documents. We've got God's Word all over our homes. We've got it on plaques. We've got the best of Reformed creeds and confessions. We've got it all. The problem is not a lack of knowledge for us as the church. The problem is a lack of fruit. We don't produce that which faith should be producing in our hearts and in our lives an accompanying life that goes along with it. What's the lesson of the fig tree? Have faith in God. Not only trust and believe Him, but live as if you trust and believe Him. Produce those fruits that are in keeping with repentance. Live the life that Christ calls us to. Now, notice there is a second. Verse 25. And whenever you stand praying, okay, now how are you supposed to pray? Pray, believing that which will come to pass, pray, acting accordingly that God will do that which he has said he will do. But when you're standing there praying, forgive. Here's the second lesson of the the fig tree. Forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Forgive. Jesus once told the, the people that when you come to the temple and offer your sacrifice, as you come there and offer that sacrifice, if at that point you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, go take care of it. But he also said, when Peter asked, him, how often should I forgive? You never stop, Peter. You never stop. Now what does this point that Jesus is making here have to do with the situation of the fig tree? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the priests, have all the leaves. But what are the leaves covering? The leaves are covering bitterness, anger, grudges, and hatred. In their heart, they hate Jesus. In their heart, they're seeking ways to destroy him. In their hearts, they're going to bring them to a cross. In their hearts, they're going to have him beaten with their fist. In their hearts, they're going to spit on him. In their hearts, they're going to rub their hands with glee when he is scourged. He stumbles along the Via della Rosa when he breathes his last, there's going to be a smugness across their face. As they wear their finery, as they wear their scripture boxes, as they wear their tassels, it hides a heart of bitterness and anger. What does forgiveness have to do with this? We're here today, sitting in church, bringing Lord praises, going to eat at the Lord's table. But underneath it, there are grudges, hatred, anger. Are those the fruit that faith produces? Does faith produce? strife, hatred. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As we come to this table, come not as perfect people, to be sure. We come as sinners. Sinful people. Who need forgiveness. Sinful people who are granted forgiveness. In the death of Christ. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And The blood of Jesus Christ is shed that we might have a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Well, do not forget, my friends, that this cursed tree is going to be that which upon Christ hangs. He's going to suffer. He's going to die on a cursed tree. What's he doing? What's he doing here? He's pointing to that which he will do. He will die on a cursed tree. Why? Because my life has leaves, but it doesn't have fruit. He's going to die. So that I might be forgiven of that sin. He's gonna die so that Peter might be forgiven, that John might be forgiven, that Matthew might be forgiven, that you might be forgiven. Forgive, because that's what I'm gonna do when I hang upon that cross. That's what happens because I give my life for you. You will be forgiven. Do you believe that? Do you believe? Do you know that? Right? Do you know that? Do you understand that? That on that cross, Jesus died for your sin so that you might be forgiven. All the crud, all the sins, all the repeated failures of your life. You believe that? Do you have faith in that? Then what is the outcome? If you really believe that, if you and I really believe that truth, then what is the outcome? Forgive. Bear the fruit of forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we come to your table being reminded of the gracious invitation you make to us. But also, Lord, we're reminded of the horrible cost that Christ had to pay in order to enable us to come to this table. This is a sign that you have forgiven us. You invite us to come, to find joy, to find delight in a communion with you. You made it possible through Christ. You wanted to bring us to you. You wanted the relationship restored. So you sent your son to die. Lord, we don't want to be just leaves. We want to be producing fruit. And so may we take, Father the graciousness of your forgiveness that you give to us in Christ. and May we be a forgiving person. In Christ's name, God's people say, amen.